0: The word of exhortation this morning is to be given to us by Brother Sid Strickland. And the title of his remarks are An Episode of Contrast. And he has asked us to read 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab, all his servants with him, and all Israel. And they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Reba, But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed, and he walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her And she came in unto him, and he lay with her. For she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived, and sent and told David, and said, I am with child. And David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did, and how the people did, and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, "'Go down to thy house and wash thy feet.' And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and went not down to his house. And when they had told David, saying, "'Uriah went not down unto his house,' David said unto Uriah, "'Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then didst thou not go down unto thine house?' And Uriah said unto David, The ark, and Israel, and Judah abide in tents. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into mine house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As thou livest and as thou soul liveth, I will not do this thing. And David said to Uriah, Tarry here today also, and tomorrow I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. And at even, he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his lord, but went not down to his house. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab, and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter, saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle, and retire ye from him, that he may be smitten and die. And it came to pass when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah into a place where he knew that valiant men men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab. And there fell some of the people of the servants of David. And Uriah the Hittite died also. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war and charged the messenger, saying, When thou hast made an end of telling the matters of the war unto the king, and if it be so that the king's wrath arise, And he say unto thee, Wherefore approached ye so nigh into the city when ye did fight? Knew ye not that they would shoot from the wall? Who smote Abimelech, the son of Jerubbasheth? Did not a woman cast a piece of millstone upon him from the wall that he died in Thebes? Why went ye nigh the wall? Then say thou, Thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also? So the messenger went and came and showed David all that Joab had sent him for. And the messenger said unto David, Surely the men prevailed against us, and they came out unto us into the field, and we were upon them even unto the entering of the gate. And the shooters shot from off the wall upon thy servants, and some of the king's servants be dead, and thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. And David said unto the messenger, Thus shalt thou say unto Joab, Let not this thing displease thee, for the sword devoureth one as well as another. Make thy battle more strong against the city, and overthrow it, and encourage thou him. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife, and bare him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So read second Samuel chapter eleven, we hear our words from our brother Sid Strickland entitled An Episode of Contrast.
1: Good morning. You know, we're astounded when we read this about David, his actions with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah, because it's just so much out of character for the man David. The name David, as we know, means beloved, and indeed he was beloved of Yahweh. He is uniquely described as a man after God's own heart. Just think about that for a moment a man after God's own heart. Let's look at 1 Samuel, the 13th chapter. 1 Samuel 13 and verse 14. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. And the Lord is speaking to Saul here. The Lord hath sought him, and it's through Samuel, had sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Let's go to Acts 13.22, where it's recorded there. Acts 13 and verse 22. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. And then let's go to 1 Kings The 15th chapter, 1 Kings 15 and verses 4 and 5. Nevertheless, for David's sake did the Lord his God give him a lamp in Jerusalem to set up his son after him and to establish Jerusalem. Because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord and turned not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, save only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Adultery, lies, betrayal, murder. Sounds a bit like a a modern novel, doesn't it? By no means like David. But it clearly illustrates what the flesh can cause us to do. If it could happen to a man like David, then it could readily happen to us all. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 10th chapter, picking up at verse 11. Now all these things happened unto them for in samples or examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore let them that thinketh he standeth, take heed, lest he fall. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth, take heed, lest he fall. Therefore hath no temptation taken you. But such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Uriah, whose name means flame or light of Yahweh. Flame or light of Yahweh. We know that he was a Hittite, not an Israelite but one who very vividly evidenced the attributes and behavior of a true servant of the Lord. And here's where we begin our contrasts, because the Hittites were descendants of Heth, the sons of Heth. And you may remember that, uh, of course, Abraham bought the field in the cave of Machpelah in which to bury Sarah from the sons of Heth. But the Hittites were, of course, pagans, worshippers of a multitude of gods, but note you know the the loyalty and the devotion and the character that's so beautifully displayed here in Uriah. He was faithful, he was loyal in every aspect, he readily manifested righteousness. And we see in Uriah a type of Christ, betrayed, sacrificed, and yet always loyal to his King. The flame or light of Yah, as Uriah's name means, is also certainly reflective of our Lord Jesus Christ. And interestingly, the name Uriah also denotes the east from which the light comes. And here we have, uh, I think, an even more relevant allusion to our Lord uh, and Savior. Turn with me to John, the first chapter. John 1, verses 4 through 9. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. And of course, we know that light was Christ. Turn with me also to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter. And let's read verses 5 through 11, where we are told to walk in that light, or according to that light. Ye are all the children of light, and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep in the night and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him, wherefore comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do and We know, of course, that Uriah clearly understood his responsibility to the Lord. We have very sharp contrasts as we compare Uriah and David in this context of first Samuel or second Samuel eleven faithfulness versus unfaithfulness loyalty and devotion versus betrayal truth versus lies abstention versus adultery concern for others versus the concern for self serving Yahweh versus serving the flesh walking in righteousness versus walking in error and we could draw many more contrasts but these will suffice to illustrate the mindset and actions of these two men at this point in time. Uriah sacrificed for David his king. David sacrificed Uriah. Let's go back to Second Samuel 11 and take a little closer look at what's happening here. We read there in that first verse that it was a time when the kings... Go forth the battle. And this would have been the spring of the year, and some of your translations may even read spring there. It's quite interesting that this was a time, should have been a time of of new life, and yet it was a time of death for David. We know also that David should have been with his men in the field. But we're told, and notice uh, specifically it says, But David tarried at Jerusalem. We read in verse 2 that David walked upon the roof, and this would have been in the late afternoon, and he saw a woman bathing below. She was very beautiful to look upon, we're told. That's interesting that, you know, obviously it's true that she was very beautiful outwardly. But this word beautiful has another meaning. It refers to the word good, having reference specifically not only to natural beauty but to moral condition and moral beauty as well which i think tells us a great deal about Bathsheba david's actions compromise Bathsheba's morality you know we could we could um, um, certainly argue the point as to what Bathsheba Bathsheba should have done in these uh, types of situations in this situation But we have to keep in mind that, of course, David was the king. And he had the power of life and death. Can you just begin to imagine how overwhelming to someone like Bathsheba this would have been? But he had not only caused Bathsheba to sin, of course, sinning himself, but he causes great hardship for the rest of his life, for his family and for others that loved him and served him. I'd like to read uh, an excerpt from a book that sisters are using on, uh, uh, in the class, uh, the monthly class, uh, in the evening sisters' class, uh, on the women of the Bible. And this sister writes concerning Bathsheba, and I, and I agree with her perspective. There are seven main points to illustrate the true character of this woman. One, God did not condemn her. Neither did Nathan Or David. Two, from Nathan's parable, we deduce that Uriah was devoted to her. And it's sort of obvious from the context of that as well that probably Uriah was much older than Bathsheba and greatly cherished her. And you'll remember the context and we'll touch upon it a little bit later. Um, He raised her up as a daughter, although she was his wife, but it shows the close connection that existed there. Surely the little ewe lamb was a symbol of innocence and purity. Three. David had a strong and abiding affection for her during the rest of his life. And four. The prophet Nathan was a loyal friend to her and her son Solomon. Five. Solomon had a great respect for his mother, and we see that demonstrated many times. And six. Of all David's wives, God chose Bathsheba to be the mother of the good and peaceable son who was to succeed David and build God's temple. Her influence was significant and important and lastly God chose her to be the mother of the two sons of David in the direct line of the Lord Jesus and she is mentioned in Matthew's genealogy with four other women of known faith. So I do believe that the character of Bathsheba was Above reproach until uh, this incident with David, which he brings upon her. Let's go to 1 John, the second chapter. We read this in our Sunday school this morning in verses that we can certainly relate to relative to the flesh. 1 John, the second chapter, and let's read verses 15 through 17. And at this point in time, David had become completely overwhelmed by the things of the flesh. And we can see each of these things evident in the actions of David. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. You know, it must have gone through David's mind, for example, that I'm king. And who would deny the king? Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loved the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Also in our Sunday school this morning we were talking uh, in the context of Luke 16 about adultery and the allusion to adultery by the Lord there uh, to the scribes and the Pharisees. And you ask, well, why is it there? And as Sister Becky pointed out, it shows infidelity. Uh, it's illustrative of the fact that they had a greater love than that for the Lord. And it was their own desires fulfilling their own inclinations as opposed to serving God. Uh, And so we see in this very act of David, um, this adulterous act, we see a loyalty not to God and to God's service, but rather a focus on the things of the flesh solely. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And we can see how displeasing this whole event was to the Lord uh, when we read the passage that pointed out that David was faithful in all things except... In the matter of Uriah the Hittite. And here again, why does it all, usually in, in all the contexts, say Uriah the Hittite? Uh, once again, highlighting or illustrating for us that glaring contrast between the typical Hittite and the man of God that characterized Uriah. David learns that this woman is Bathsheba that he sees. She is the daughter of Eliam. Wife of Uriah the Hittite. Extremely, uh, this is extremely significant information here because, you know, we're told in Second Samuel, uh, one of the places in Second Samuel twenty-three thirty-four, that Eliam is the son of Ahithophel, and of course you will remember that Ahithophel was a counselor, a wise counselor, of David, and in the matter of of Absalom, he uh, does. Um, rebel against David and can we understand why under the circumstance Bathsheba would have been Ahithophel's granddaughter so we can clearly understand why Ahithophel would have had the depth of feeling that he did and yet he was a righteous man that David caused to take this evil path and you'll remember um, that David even appealed to the Lord to make the counsel of Ahithophel of naught. As a matter of fact, let's look at 2 Samuel fifteen. 2 Samuel fifteen, and let's read verse thirty-one. I think will be enough. And one said and one told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel. Into foolishness, because David knew uh, the quality of Ahithophel's counsel, and we know that ultimately, um, you know, David had an intervention, and uh, as a result, um, Ahithophel, Ahithophel's counsel was not uh, accepted, um, and as a result, um, when he saw his counsel wasn't followed, he killed himself. So David also had that on his conscience as well. David sent messengers and took Bathsheba, and he lay with her. She conceived and sent and told David she was with child. And of course, I think Bathsheba would have clearly understood that the penalty for what she and David had done was death. Look at Leviticus, the 20th chapter. Leviticus 20... In verse 10, And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress, shall surely be put to death. Though it was very appropriate, it would have been very appropriate for both David and Bathsheba to have been killed at this point in time. David asked Joab to send Uriah to see him. And when Uriah comes, as we learn in verse 7 of Second Samuel 11, you know, we see all of David's lies. He's feigning concern for Joab and the, and the people in the field. He says he would like to know the status of the war. But all of these things are far from the mind of David. He only has one intention, and that is to get Uriah with Bathsheba so that his sin might be hidden. David sends Uriah to his house, and he sends a gift along with him, which was probably food. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house. And it very specifically there says, with all the servants of his Lord. He didn't go down to his own house, he put nothing above his devotion to his king. He slept with all the servants. Of his Lord and did not go down to his house. David was informed that Uriah did not go down to his house, and he questioned Uriah as to why he didn 't go and, and note particularly uh, what Uriah says here and let 's go back and read specifically what he says because here he alludes to in verse eleven. These different reasons as to why he didn't. And note here again the devotion of Uriah. And he very boldly says unto David, The ark and Israel. So, first and foremost, we see his focus, his preoccupation with the things of the Spirit. The ark of God, God's presence with Israel and Judah. The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into mine house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As thou livest and as thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. So we see Uriah's complete dedication to his king. And the message for us, of course, is that we too must have this same loyalty... To our King, our God, and uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. David asked Uriah to stay a couple more days when he saw this was not um, going to happen. He bided uh, you know, for some more time. Uh, before we uh, consider that, let's let's turn to Joshua, the twenty-second chapter. Joshua twenty-two, in verse five. But take diligent heed to do the commandments and the law, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you, to love the Lord your God and to walk in His ways and to keep His commandments and to cleave unto Him. And certainly we see this attitude and disposition in Uriah. And to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. This indeed was the case with Uriah. David, during this extra time, was hoping he could get Uriah to go unto his wife, that David's sin might be hidden. And we know, of course, that we cannot hide from God in any way. And we sang in our hymn this morning, and I'll read just that first verse again of hymn 46. Where can we hide or whither fly, Lord, to escape thy piercing eye? With thee there is not day and night, but darkness darkness shineth as the light. And let's go to Psalm 139. You know, and indeed we know it's the case that we may, we may dupe our brothers and sisters and others may not be aware of what goes on in our lives, but we cannot fool God. Psalm 139, picking up at verse 7. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I descend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. David calls Uriah to him again, having him eat and drink, making Uriah drunk. And even in this condition, he didn't go home, but went out to lie down with the servants of his lord the king. At this point in time, it's obvious to us that David's conscience has been temporarily seared. And we see in it the deception of sin, which is something that we all have to contend with daily. In the morning, David actually, at this point in time, saw that it wasn't going to happen. And he wrote a letter to Joab. And isn't it interesting how Joab truly is in control in this situation? um, And... It is probably the matter that um, created in Joab, who was already an opportunist, but created in Joab uh, an attitude, um, a, a negative attitude towards David, and certainly disrespect. But David wrote a letter to Joab, and he delivered it by the hand of Uriah. Uriah was carrying his own death warrant. And it said, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire from him, that he may be smitten and die. Here again, it's hard for us to even conceive of a man like David having these thoughts and taking these actions. Joab followed suit. He put Uriah in a place where valiant men were. And we know that indeed Uriah was a valiant man in his service to David but he was a valiant man for God. And David, it wasn't the sword of the Ammonites, it wasn't Joab, but David had just taken the life of this righteous servant of Yahweh. Look at 2 Samuel 23. 2 Samuel 23 and 39. And of course this is mentioned elsewhere uh, also. But this is a list of David's mighty men. These individuals were selected specifically to be the bodyguard of David. It says 37. There were actually 30 men. There were some who were replaced at different points in time. Um, But there were 30. And it says, Uriah the Hittite. The list ends with Uriah the Hittite, the flame of Yah. So Joab put Uriah in a place where valiant men were, died in the battle. He was exposed to the worst fighting. But do we see an attitude of, on the part of Uriah of a shrinking back? Not at all. He was wholly devoted to his king and the service of Yahweh. And note the reference. And there fell some of the people, of the servants of David Uriah the Hittite died also Joab then sends a message to David updating him about the battle and note Joab's approach knowing that he's in complete control of David saying that thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also the messenger told David all that Joab had said Informing David that Uriah was indeed dead. And we note in the context the taunting and teasing in the comments in the comments of, of Joab. David told the messenger to tell Joab, let not this thing displease thee, for the sword devoureth one as well as another. And how true that statement became in the house of David when the sword would not depart from his own house. At this point in time, there's still no inkling of regret on the part of David. We're told that Bathsheba mourned for her husband Uriah, and when the morning was past, David brought her to his house, making her his wife, and she bare a son. Turn with me to Second Samuel, the 12th chapter. And at this point, through all of this process, David still had not acknowledged his sin. Thinking, in essence, that he had gotten away with it. We're not going to read the entire entire parable here of the ewe lamb. But I do want to highlight a few things. Nathan comes to David and he tells him this parable of the ewe lamb. He talks about a rich man who had many flocks and many herds. In contrast to the poor man who had nothing but this ewe lamb. And notice it says, He had brought and nourished it up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. But rather than slaying one of his own animals, of course, the rich man slew the ewe lamb. David, Notice David's reaction. His anger was greatly kindled and he said you know the man should should surely die and why because he had had no pity and Nathan at that time says thou art the man so for the first time we see David understanding the scope of what he had done he did not deny it but recognized his sin against God. Nathan says, Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. Thou, David, here again, not the Ammonites, not Joab, but you, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. And look at verse 13. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And verse 14. Howbeit because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. And we read, of course, in verse 18, And it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died, just before the time of circumcision. And I think in the child we see a typical cutting off of the things of the flesh. It was a great heartache to David, but he recognized the Lord's will and he accepted it. I'd like to read... Uh, just a, a little excerpt from the story of the Bible, I think it 's a pretty good summary of a lot of the things that have happened here in the life of David whom david stands when excuse me when David stands again in life at the resurrection, with all those who have read of his weakness, he will know of the wide effect of his action. Everyone knows about it. The evil brought in its train years of suffering and tears, his family experienced many forms of evil, even murder. He himself went through the bitterness of civil war and exile. The son he dearly loved became the main figure in a revolt against his rule. The very spot where the sin was conceived became the site of his disgrace. Bathsheba's child died. David lost the services and wisdom of his friend Ahithophel. He found himself in the power of the unscrupulous Joab. And he who ruined the family life of Uriah found his own family a ruin. And if you'll turn to Psalm fifty one with me. It says this was a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. And think about the sincerity with which David writes these words. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned. And done this evil in thy sight. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest. And be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. And uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, which was the murder of of Uriah, O God. Thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. And in these last verses, David's making it very clear that his desire... Uh, is for the honor of God's name and the manifestation of that name in the earth. The name Bathsheba, Bathsheba means daughter of the oath, and that will be fulfilled and perfected in David's greater son. For as we read in Acts 2.30, God has sworn with an oath to him, that is to David, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit upon his throne. And just a couple of verses in closing, if you would turn to Psalm 32 with me. And let's read the first couple of verses. Of course, the entire psalm relates to the fact that David recognizes that he has indeed been blessed and been forgiven of the Lord. Verses 1 and 2. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Thank you.